about this is, uh, you know, that negative thought you've been having, and uh, I just, uh, I just can't let you try and change yourself without a fight, so, uh, go ahead and just turn this show off, okay, and, um, uh, yeah, everything's still fine. This is Blindsight with your host, Bill Lundgren, an AINC original podcast. Is serious? We're not holding back truth. We're here to help you heal and become the best you possible. Here's the chair. Here's the pillow. Here's Bill. Welcome to Blindsight. This is your host, Bill Lundgren. And Blindsight is when we talk about mental health issues, particularly as they apply to uh, people with blindness. And the program is produced by the Audio Information Network of Colorado, which I understand uh, there's going to be a name change, but I haven't heard what it is. So keep your ears uh, peeled for the name change. But anyway, today we're going to have another program with our producer, Jonathan uh, Price, to talk about. This time we want to talk about families, and particularly families as it applies to uh, addiction and addictive behaviors. Mm. It's a pretty important subject, and I'm particularly concerned that uh, that what happens uh, in the community of people with blindness is if someone is is involved in addiction, gets uh, abusing chemicals, uh, there's a lot of enabling because people would say, oh, if I were blind, I would... Mm-hmm. I would get drunk too. And yeah. we want to change that that kind of mindset if it's indeed involved. So welcome, Jonathan. And do you have any thoughts about what I oh, just I got said? lots of thoughts. I got I got lots of thoughts. <laughs> I got thoughts I got thoughts all day long. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's good to be back on here. I love I love shooting the breeze with you. And yeah, we're going through a, a very interesting name change. So we don't have quite all those details yet, but yeah, jumping right into the, um, I guess, at least the enabling aspect of addiction for children. Um, we don't understand as parents how big of a role we play, usually until it's too late. And a lot of times when uh, you're a parent, you're punishing a kid most of the time for something that you have set them up to fail in. So like if my son, you know, goes and gets a cookie out of the cookie jar and I told him he couldn't have one, but he has chocolate on his face. If I set him up and I say, now, did you go get a cookie out of the cookie jar? I already know that that's a lie. If he said, well, he says, well, no, I didn't No, daddy. I didn't do that. I was like, well, yeah. you've got chocolate mm-hmm. on your face. So now I'm more upset that he lied versus taking the cookie when all of the, when really what he was doing is, a natural thing. And I mean, yeah. it's, it's natural to lie and to, you know, steal and all that kind of stuff. But the, the whole point is if I go to him and I say, Hey buddy, you know, I, I know you took the cookie. There's chocolate on your face. I just need you to not do that anymore. Or I need you to, you know, come ask me. Cause I would have said, yes, you know, it's in the middle of the day. We're not having dinner for a while. Of course you could have had a cookie sure. and, you know, reframing some of those things. So I'm going to be, I'm really interested to get further into this topic and, and really understand how these questions can be manipulated and how parents just enable their kids. It's going to be a great, great talk. Well, the, the, the thing that, uh, 
when we're talking about addictive behavior, now you're talking about a uh, child, uh, yeah, just adolescents. Um, not letting you know, letting you know what the, what's the truth. Right. And uh, unfortunately, right now we're going through a thing where in Great Britain and here and elsewhere, uh, there's some big lies which people are uh, who've done the lying. Uh, are, are, there's questions whether there's going to be a penalty for it. So there's kind of really? a national thing that we're going up against, but. In terms of that kind of behavior, yes, that is what kids do. And part of the thing uh, may be, uh, I'm not a, a, a child expert or child psychologist, but I think one of the things is uh, in terms of rather than confronting, but say, you know, how come you, you know, decided to tell me that, uh, you didn't get into the cookie jar, you know, and try to see if you can help right. uh, the child get a sense of of what he was trying to prevent. Because, For sure. you know, we, we lie to prevent consequences. And I think it helps yeah. if we sometimes talk about that. Now, kids', uh, kids brain development doesn't uh, stop until they're 26, so they have a long way to go before their their brain and their... Or if you're uh, a male, it's usually in their 50s. <laughs> if you're lucky. <laughs> right. That's right. My brain hasn't, has not stopped developing. No. But uh-uh. the, is, the issue is that that frontal cortex, that center part of the brain, right. is where all the... Uh, sense of responsibility and consequences and all that judgment it's the last it's the newest part to been developmentally mm-hmm. but it's also which means that it's also the last to develop it so when we're talking about advanced you know advanced uh years and why do why do young people do stupid things well it's because uh, right. their brain hasn't developed right we haven't learned those lessons yet right right but I think there's also another uh, issue, and particularly around addictive behavior, and that is that uh, sometimes parents feel like they're the blame for what their kids' mistakes that the kids make. Yeah. And we play the blame game. And, and you know, so you have to ask myself, well, what's the right way to work with this, with this child? Uh, and every parent does, but when the child makes a mistake, it isn't necessarily your parenting per se. It may right. be that you've learned uh, dysfunctional skills from your parents who learned dis- dysfunctional skills from their parents, and it may go several generations. So mm-hmm. how in the world can you blame uh, a parent who makes a mistake mm-hmm. for the mistake when they had training to operate in a different way. And yeah. you, but what you, you want to do, what I'm hearing you want to do is make sure you don't pass that kind of behavior or unacceptable, yeah. accepting unacceptable behavior onto your children and, and cut the uh, mm. progression of bad, uh, bad parenting, if you will, or, or, uh, unsuccessful parenting, but that's what makes things a little problematic. 
Yeah, there's there's also two elements to this. I feel that we kind of have to look at one is the enabling aspect of it, but then the other is the either the lack of discipline from a parent to a child because of the uh, the fear of well, if I punish my kid, they're just going to grow up to be you know either abusers or they're going to be you know whatever. And you can also uh, add to that the accountability aspect. So if you're not holding your kids accountable, or you're not holding the people you love accountable, they're just going to run amok and they're going to do things that you know you they shouldn't do uh, and right. they know that they shouldn't do. And so uh, when we talk about those three things, the enabling, the accountability, and the discipline, right? Uh, which comes first? Where do you start? Exactly, and that's one of the difficult things because I'll I'll add in a uh, another twist, and that is uh, that children uh, tend to take uh, roles in the family. Yeah, and you know there may if you if you apply rules equally, it, that may not be helpful because. Right. One child may need more direction than another child, and so you have to kind of tailor. This is this is what makes parenting so tough: is you have to factor so many different things in the decision you make, just in in terms of discipline. I was when I was in second grade. I was at the school uh, in Durango. And we had this amazing uh, Native American cultural week where they came and uh, they taught us a whole bunch of stuff during the week. And then at the end of the week on Friday, they had the whole field filled with teepees and weaving stations and archery stations and uh, fire pits and all this amazing stuff that we just got to ingratiate ourselves into that culture. One of the tents that they had set up was a school tent or like how they would teach or or learn. And the thing that has always stuck with me from that point on, and it's more of a behavioral issue, which could lead to the addictive. That's where I want to start is when the, the child would go to touch something that was hot or they would go to do something that was either dangerous or, you know, if it would kill them, then they would kind of like, you know, step in at that point, but the, the adults would allow the child to touch a hot rock or a hot pot or a sharp knife and and they would learn learn experience. Yeah, exactly. And, and that experience way more often is a better teacher than the, the parent protecting them from something that happens. You know, we have all of these, these helicopter Mm -hmm. parents who are, trying to protect their kids from everything. And then their kid, they wonder why their kids didn't grow up to be more independent and self-sufficient. Right. And that's, that's part of the reason my mom used to tell me and still does to this day, sometimes that if, if it's either spiritually damaging, if it's physically damaging, like if they're going to put themselves in, in actual harm or danger, like running out into the street and you know, cars coming, or it's, um, what was the third one? Spiritual, physical, uh, emotional, or sorry, moral, moral behaviors. If it's one of those three things, say yes, say yes to experiences, say yes to life, say yes to a lot of things. If it's not one of those three issues that's coming up. Right. And right. I think we've got to start there. Yeah, absolutely. But you see, one of the thing too, that we have in modern day, uh, 
we, uh, the parents, are really doing a solo. There's not a lot of extended family around. And it's that, right. you know, you mentioned native cultures. Well, in, na- in many native cultures, uh, yes, they have a parent, but every every adult in there can parent your child. And so that, that yep. kids are getting the experience of different ways of thinking and they have, uh, you know, they, they know they have to be independent be, and, and also they have different people to go to for information that they need. Parents now, it, that's it. You're it. And that can yeah. be very, you know, that daunting for the parents, but also it gives a very narrow framework for kids to operate with. Well, and even a few years ago, we used to believe that you know, when I was a kid, my parents always told me that my teacher, my school teacher, was an extension right. of my parental unit. Right. And now we have so many problems in our school systems that now we can't even trust our teachers for the most part. I mean, there's, there's a few like really, really good ones that of course, uh, and my, my kids personally have been blessed with amazing teachers so far because they are an extension of me, but Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we have teachers who are uh, built. This education thing is, is scaring the crap out of me. And I, I miss being able to parent as a community in that aspect. And so yeah. it, I, it's just a scary, scary thing for me. Yeah, right now, in, in terms of well, do, doing being a parent uh, in general is pretty scary. And one of, the, one of the scariest things is you have all these people telling you, the parent, what to do. Right. And then you have – and you have to – make some decisions and you worry about if you're responsible, worry about, uh, am I doing the right thing for my child? Yeah. And, you know, and, and when a teacher does something, you have to ask yourself, well, is that the right thing for my child? Or do I have to go to authorities and complain about that teacher? Cause we haven't any communication. When I was a kid, my mother of course, I was a, a kid who, and my uh, younger sister, we were both uh, severely hearing impaired. So my mother was very, very uh, able to invite teachers over to the house for tea or for dinner to get to know our, our teachers, which is, I don't think right. parents are able to do that anymore. To get to know the teachers so that, yeah. you, you know, the parent could... Uh, I know in my neighborhood, if I had done something wrong, my mother would have found out about it in about 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. Even, even if I were at the other end of town. Yep. Yep. Because everybody knew her. And right. the teachers all knew. So the teachers knew what kind of home we were from, uh, coming from and knew that they could go to my mother and say, look, this kind of behavior has to be dealt with. And so they were a united front, and we can't have that anymore, or, you know, we aren't able to do that anymore. The problem particularly comes in when the kids are using, abusing, and no one paying attention. And a lot of a lot of teachers, I'm not even sure they're aware, or they think, well, I can't do anything about it, and the kid is stoned when they come into, cl- into the classroom. 
And and that means, and there's no communication with the parent, so consequently, the kid doesn't know what's right, right or wrong. And so they, you know, they feel like, and and their own mood and so forth, they need to do something about how bad they feel. There are a lot of kids out there with depression, with anxiety, just you know, just looking at the whole thing about gun violence and what it's doing to the kid's psyche. Well, the kid's going to go find something to to numb those feelings that they have. And that just encourages, plus they have other, they're into experimentation and they have their peers are maybe using and their kids are, are uh, uh, and, and even some of the kids are selling to one another. Uh, I would hate to, have a kid in school right now. Oh, it's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. That's why we pulled our kids out and that we're sending them to a classical academy. But, um, it, and it's, it's just a, it's, it's a different school mindset. It's, it's a very different, um, mindset. So we're, they're very excited. The kids are, are out of their mind excited to be going to this new school. But anyway, um, well, but the thing that really, and, and, and again, I go, go back to the issue. If the, the child is like me, uh, he, uh, severe hearing, uh, or a child is blind, and now we're, main, you know, because we're mainstreaming, which has its pluses and minuses, but if they're being mainstreamed and they're having, they're being bullied by their peers and so forth, and they start using substances to ease the pain, and then if a parent, you know, feel frustrated, you know, about the kid misbehaving, but they enable behavior they wouldn't accept in a kid that didn't have a disability, then that just compounds the problem. Because they're, you're, they're enabling them to get into destructive behavior. But uh, the parents may have a tendency to say, well, you know, uh, I, I, a kid has to be a kid, even though he he or she is is blind or hearing or had some other physical disability. Now, there's some some physical disabilities where the kids tend not to get into substance abuse. When we're talking about hearing and blindness and so forth, that's where we tend to have higher numbers of uh, uh, of. Uh, uh, problematic behavior we can have that and part of it being the enabling that goes on is not the same standard because we feel sorry for the for the child so bill what are some of the first signs to look for when a parent may feel like their kid may be having an addictive personality or they're struggling with something well I think one of the big things is if you know your child and there's a behavioral uh, change in the child, a significant, in other words, a child who is very much uh, happy and spent time with friends suddenly uh, is not doing that. It's spending a lot of time alone. Uh, it can be, it can even, and I have to include this, uh, addicted to uh, social media. You know, they're spending time away from other people, then that's a warning sign that something's going on. There's a change in behavior that's a biggie. 
The other thing uh, may be in terms of just and behavioral change. If you notice a behavioral change, with you know, the kid, no, some kids trying to find themselves may become more belligerent. I know my stepdaughter, uh, when she was 13, I voted for the idea of putting her in a desert island for until uh, she's 35. But that's normal <laughs> for someone, you, you know, a, a yeah. girl particularly at 13. Right. And, yeah. you know, it's, it, you just have to understand that. But when the behavior, if you're noticing behavior that's unusual for your child or gets, you know, if your instinct says something's wrong here, that's the time when you're going to have to use your instinct and say, look, I need to figure out what's going on and talk with the child or make a decision to check with the teacher or to say, you know, I think I think this my child needs to talk to somebody separate from me. And that's a very hard thing for parents to own up to. Yeah. And, you know, there's if uh, I want to point out a few things that you can specifically look for. And you've kind of already mentioned these, but um, in terms of like mood shifting and personality shifts, uh, things that come to my mind are like hostility. Are they getting more angry for just random reasons? Are they unable to focus? Um, They're either either hyperactive or uh, or completely sullen and withdrawn. Uh, but then in behavior changes, one of the things that I've noticed, and not in my kids, not in my kids specifically, but things like um, avoiding eye contact or slamming doors, right. locking doors, um, disappearing or being hiding or like being in your hiding, room yeah, for long mm-hmm. periods of time. Uh, another aspect that I want to, I guess two more aspects that I would like to point out hygiene uh, and physical health. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if, if they're not brushing their teeth or they're not right. combing their hair or you find like little burns or something on there, right. and, and we're talking more older kids now, like teenagers. And if you find like burn marks or they're coming home yeah. more bruised um, or one of the big ones, Oh my goodness. Parents. If you, if, if you see your kids wearing rubber bands around their wrists, uh, get them some help get talk to them about what's going on because a lot of times kids will be trying to numb the pain because they're either, they could be cutting, they could be self damaging themselves or self harming. And that is a a method that a lot of kids are using to kind of numb that pain initially. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I've seen that so many times, especially in school and where they'll just be like plucking at their wristband. And then eventually that wristband will snap and you know, it's, it's, Please pay attention to your kids. Please just just ask them what they're doing. How, ask them how they're doing. And if you can extend your grace, one of the best things to overcome these initial addictive behaviors is to show unyielding grace and love to your kids. Right. You've right. got to be patient enough to to open up your heart so that your kids can see you as a safe place to come, regardless of what they're going through. There is a there is a thing right now is that since we have two career families or a single parent, it is so difficult to yeah. be able to do that. It becomes very scary, particularly if you're a single parent. It's very scary. You know, you're almost afraid 
to check something out because you have to do something then. And your, your, your kid may be in trouble. You have, to in, you have to invade the privacy. Right. And you have to be able to, uh, and hopefully you do it real early, to know that the kid can all, kids can always come to you with something that's on their mind. And that has to start real early that they won't get criticized. And, right. and part of it may be even helping them develop the, uh, the frontal cortex in their brain yeah. to make yep. logical decisions, you know. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, uh, for me growing up, my mother always had the answer. And, yes. you know, if your mother and she was very intelligent, but yeah. she didn't always have the right answer, of course, none of us right. do. Right. But it, it becomes a little uh, unnerving to go to your mother and say one thing and say, oh, that's not right. And so consequently, uh, if you find yourself doing that, it really conversation and it's converse, learning conversation with your kid is so important and allow them to tell you a little bit more than yes or no. Right. Well, and we've always told our kids, no matter what guys, you will never be in trouble for asking us a question, regardless of how dumb we think it is, regardless of if it's whatever, they don't know the information. And if it's up to me as a parent, where if they don't know the information, then it's my job to help them find it, even if I don't know it. As even a, if like, you don't know, Ava, yeah. Mm-hmm. My, my daughter came to me last week, and she was like, "Dad, I, I'm, I don't understand something." And I was like, "Okay, well, did you look it up? And what have you done to research this problem?" She's like, "Well, mm-hmm. I did this and this and this and this." I was like, "Great." So she looked up some YouTube videos. She went. She did some online research. And I said, "And I said, right. if you can't figure out the problem, that's fantastic, honey. I am so glad you came to." be because now we can do this together. Right. And because now when she goes through, you know, puberty or she goes through life circumstances down the road, she's going to come to me and she's going to be like, dad, help me. And yeah. I'll be like, absolutely. We're a team together. Now it's not a parent child relationship, even though that's what it is. But now yeah. she sees me as a helper and a provider helper, and a protector right. and she can trust me. And I, and you see one of the issues is that, you gave her credit for doing her own research. And you say, great, it sounds like you did everything that you could possibly do. Now yep. let's see if we, if the two of us together can find some additional resources, then it becomes that right. helper kind of right. thing. And that's what kids need. They need an affirmation yep. of what they do right. Right. It used to be, and unfortunately I think it still is, we tend to focus far more on what they do wrong, because we're told by some of the uh, uh, child care specialists that if you 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 mm-hmm. praise them for something they do right, then they'll stop trying, and that's right. not true. That's, but yeah, and that only if all you they get the only time they get attention from you is negative for negative behavior. Guess what they're going to go for? Right. Well, we have negative thoughts 70% of the time anyway. Yeah. Like our thought patterns are 70% negative. So why in the world would we expect to do anything else other than to criticize our kids for doing something that they know is wrong? They may have thought about it. They may have, you know, premeditated on whatever it is that they're doing. But when we are able to show grace and kindness and love in a helpful way, 
Not only do they feel safe to come to you with an addiction problem, with something that's going on at school, with bullying, with abuse, with whatever it is, they're able to come to you for everything. And you can show them, you can walk with them through grace, through love, through kindness, and and develop a relationship that is truly what a parent and child relationship is supposed to be. And then rather than a dictatorship, it's now a partnership because you are trying to get your kid out of your house and become a contributing member of society, period. Period.